Before we, uh, before we begin, let's go ahead and, and go to God in prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning for this time that we have and this opportunity to study your word. I just thank you for the desire of people to study it. It's, a, it's inspiring. Um, it's a privilege to teach it, but it's, it's, it's also, like I said, inspiring to have those who want to study your word. And I'm just so thankful for each person that's here or those who can't be with us or are listening online. And even if they're not uh, paying attention to us, I'm thankful for all the saints across this world who, who devote so much time to, to getting to know you and your word. Just pray your blessing upon this, this study over the weeks, weeks to come. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, the book of Romans. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1. The book of Romans is a very important, uh, very important book for us, uh, the body of Christ. Uh, and so, whenever I put my uh, uh, design together today, we won't really begin, probably begin the verse by verse study. We'll just do the introduction. Uh, but whenever I put together the, the structure of what I wanted to discuss in this. Uh, introduction, uh, I put for the very beginning the significance of Romans, because Romans is um, maybe, I mean, if you can say this about any book, which I don't think you can, it may be the most significant book to the body of Christ. Uh, And so, again, I think that uh, we have the complete word of God, therefore we have all of it, and any one piece missing means there's something missing. So, you can't really say that one is important um, and another one's not. They're all important. But when it comes to the significance of the, uh, the book of Romans, um, it, uh, it, it comes in second to no book. Um, one thing you need to understand is this is not the first book, uh, chronology, in a, in a, when it comes to chronology, uh, the first one, it wasn't the first one that Paul wrote. But the Holy Spirit saw fit to place this one first um, out of Paul's writings. So after we get from the book of Acts, we go right into the book of Romans. Romans, again, wasn't the first one he wrote. But yet the Holy Spirit saw fit to put it here first, and we can only speculate as to why that is. But again, the importance and the things that are contained in the book of Romans, um, I think, shed some light on why the Holy Spirit would put this one very first for us to read. Um, It's uh, foundational to Christianity. Uh, and keep in mind when I say Christianity, um, this is why we talked about before we went into the study about what is rightly dividing. We understand that the church today is the body of Christ. The church today is not a replacement for Israel. We did not replace Israel. Israel's promises will be fulfilled. And guess which book you find that out in? This one. Um, it, and so we'll talk more about that later. Um, and so there were churches prior to the body of Christ. You had the church that was in the wilderness with Moses. You had the church that was at Pentecost. Um, Israel, in the time of Jesus, would have been considered a church. A church is a called-out gathering, a called-out group. Um, there's a church that's referenced who is a mob that it tries to attack Paul. And so when I say that for the church, that this is the foundational 
book, I'm referring to the church, the body of Christ. And so that is how important this book is. In this book, we learn that we are sinners, that God's wrath is upon us as as mankind, as sinners. God's wrath is going to be upon, upon man, and that we need a Savior to avoid it. That's what the book of Romans gives us. And so, again, it is the foundational book of doctrine. Some books in the, in the Bible um, would be more classified, I guess you could say, as a theme of doctrine or maybe um, correction. Whereas in the book of Corinthians, it's a book of correction. The Corinthians were doing things wrong, and Paul, Paul writes a book to correct them on it. And so it's considered, um, you know, whatever theologians talk and they want to classify books, they would consider that a book of corrections. There's, there's books that are considered to be reproof, like Galatians, where he's reproving them for um, their going away from God in, in, a, in, a, in a big way. And so you have doctrinal books, you would, you would have, which would be this, and correction, and reproof. And then you got those that are like history. The book of Acts, which obviously wasn't written by, by, uh, by Paul, it was written by a companion of Paul's, Luke, it is, it is a, it's a, it's a historical narrative. And so you can look at Luke as a, as a historian who's given us a historical detail, which, by the way, comes into um, you know, play when it comes to all of Paul's writings. One of the things that we, we all too often do, myself included, when we give an introduction to a book of the Bible, is we try to tell you when it was written. Well, it's, it's kind of almost pointless um, because one... Typically speaking, it's somewhat of a guesswork. And really, to be honest with you, the most important thing to understand on when it is written, especially the Pauline books, is when it was written in correlation to the events of the book of Acts. Because as you follow along in the book of Acts and you read these these epistles, you get to piece things together. And then between those, you can understand um, the structure and the timeline and the events that are taking place. And just in case you're curious, um, we won't really look at it too much uh, unless you guys want to, but uh, we would probably put the book of Romans written in uh, Acts chapter 20. So you can go read the events that took place before and the events that took place after, and you would see that this book is going to be written from Corinth around the time of Acts chapter 20. And so by the time this happens, now you can understand all of those other events that took place in Acts have already happened. Whenever Paul, when Paul and Barnabas go back to argue with uh, the 12 apostles back in Jerusalem, they have that council, Acts chapter 15, there's a question on how salvation works because they were saying in order to be saved, you had to follow the law of Moses. And Paul and Barnabas says, we ain't having none of this. So they, you know, they didn't hop in their car and a nice little easy drive listening to the radio. No, they walked their way and to argue that no, salvation has nothing to do with that. And that's Acts chapter 15. So those events already took place whenever Paul writes this book. And so, again, I would, I would tell you that uh, to, to compare the, the, the timeline of the book of Acts more so than, it, you know, looking for a year that something's been written. Um, but um, most would say that this would have been written in the 50s, late 50s, around 58, if that interests you. Um, and so... Um, this teaches, again, as unbelievers, again, I'm using my words carefully here, as unbelievers, 
that we are sinners and God's wrath is against us. Now again, if you're not an unbeliever, then God's wrath is not against you. That, that means that God's wrath for your sake went on Jesus Christ. But as unbelievers, God's wrath is upon us. Romans chapter 1 makes this very clear. And so the book, um, uh, to begin with, um, I've said that many, many times. Uh, whenever, if, if, if somebody, uh, not a whole lot of people um, necessarily get saved and come and find me and say, which book of the Bible should I read first? But if they did, this would be the book I would tell them to read. And I've said that many, many times. And I would tell them to read it about ten times over and over and over and over again because of the information that's contained in this book. I know that when I got saved, and I would ask you if you wanted to raise your hand, if anybody else, when you got saved, when I got saved, I was told the first book I should read was the book of John. Now, anybody else have that happen? Yeah. Okay. All right. And, and, and you know, John, you know, in a great way, he presents Jesus as God. I'm not trying to take away from the book of John. But what I am telling you is, is the information that's contained in the book of Romans is doctrine that you need to understand. And, again, even if somebody wasn't a new believer, if it was just an unbeliever and I was recommending they read a book, it's this book, the book of Romans, that I would recommend them read. And so I would suggest to you that, that, um, uh, that you would do the same thing, and you should do it. Um, it's this book here that we find that all, all, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's in this book that we understand that we need a Savior. It's in this book that we have that famous term, the Romans Road, right? You guys heard that term, the Romans Road, the road to salvation. You understand this concept that you're a sinner, you need salvation, and how, and how you can be justified. That's in this book here. Justification. See, in my study Bible, which I've had to stop using for whenever I'm teaching because it's in such bad shape and I don't want to lose it, so I had to buy a different Bible to teach out of. But my other Bible that has all my notes at the headline there, I, I put the, the, the theme for it as the book of Romans describes our standing before God. Our meaning the believer. Our standing before God is justified. Because it's in this book. Now that word justified, we'll do a short little, because um, this to me is so profound. If you do, a, do a, a little study of the word justified in your New Testament, you will find it very <clears throat> obvious what we teach here about rightly dividing, the distinction of the Pauline message. Because you will only find it in the four Gospels. I believe it's only in, in um, Matthew. But you'll only in the, find it in four Gospels, the word justified used, and it's always referring to God, God being justified for things. Except for one passage. Turn with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 37. And again, as you're turning there, 
this word justified. Uh, again, I, I say this all the time. God, this is why we can take God at his word. I don't need to try to spiritualize the text. I don't need to try and change it because I believe my God is smart enough that he can choose his words carefully. Um, and so uh, when, when you study this word out and you understand what it means and then you look at its use, how it's used by the earthly authors of your New Testament, it just speaks volumes. Look here at Matthew chapter 12, verse 37. It says, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So you have the context there. Justified isn't some, well, let's spiritualize what this is referring to. Because we also have the condemned here, don't we? And here we see that you're, it's a discussion about you're going to be justified and condemned based upon your words. Why do you think that Jesus would talk about, and you'd see in the Gospels, that you were justified um, by your fruits, by your works, all of those types of things? Matter of, matter, of, matter of fact, like I said, the other references to justified in the four Gospels have to do with God. And then you have this one. But then when Paul <coughs> talks about justified, uh-oh, we've changed it. It's totally different. Paul, when he talks about justified, let's compare scripture to that. Go to Romans chapter 3, where there you see justification based upon your words, or condemned based upon your words. Look at Romans chapter 3, and I bet you guys already know the verse that I'm going to use. Romans chapter 3, look at verse 24. Being justified... Freely, by your words or by His grace? grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, we're justified, we're declared righteous, which is what justified means. Um, Not based upon us, according to the Apostle Paul, because we could never attain to that. We could never reach that point. It's in the book of Romans that this truth is made evident. Now, obviously, Paul would have been preaching that before he wrote the book of Romans. But as you, as you have your word of God, the scriptures in which God uh, ordained for us to have, it's in the book of Romans where you're first going to see this if you're, if you're following along as it's in canon. And so here we see we're justified freely by his grace. Like I said, that's a huge, huge difference. Look at verse 28 says, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now again, as I said, whenever you do a a study on this word justified, we have that example in Matthew, and then we have Paul, and then we have the 12 apostles talking about it through, through James. Anybody know what James talks about, says regarding justification? It's not by faith alone. Look at James. Yes, it works. Look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Starting verse 21. James 2.21 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. Now what's interesting is Paul uses Abraham 
to dis- to describe justification apart from works, a justification for by faith. Now, again, most teachers are going to spiritualize the text and say, well, it doesn't really mean that. This is actually talking about something else. But again, we have what's called a hermeneutic, which is a is a, an approach to language that we start with the premise that one God is truthful, He's knowing, and He has the ability to teach us and talk to us the way we need to talk to. We don't. Whenever he's when he's using metaphors, when he's using figures of speech, just like if I'm talking to you and I say it's raining cats and dogs, it's obvious to you that I'm doing that. God has the ability to do the same thing. And otherwise, you can take him at his word. And so, is there a reason to to spiritualize the text, or is it a convenience because we want to make the Bible fit a theology? Well, I can tell you that's what the issue is with most people. He says, and so this is why you have Paul using Abraham as justification by faith, and you have James using Abraham as justification by works, just like you had in Matthew, a a totally different teaching, justification based upon works. Continue reading here in James chapter chapter 2, look at verse 22. See thou how faith wrought with his works, and how by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. The teaching is, is, is rather clear. Verse 25, well, we don't need to read that, but uh, we could see here clearly that the teaching, when it comes to justification, is staggeringly different between the Apostle Paul and what the Gospels talk about, and what James what James is talking about. Do you think that's a coincidence? Think it just was just happened to be that way? I would tell you I don't think so. <laughs> Tim, just uh, reading a, a note uh, from Schofield, and it's interesting. It says James in this passage uses the word faith in the sense of intellectual orthodoxy. Paul, when he uses faith in a personal sense, means trust in the atoning work of Christ to the extent of full commitment to him. For James, the word works means the believer's works, the outward evidence of a saved life. And boy, that's a real strained mm-hmm. uh, definition and uh, an attempt to... To explain away. Right. Yeah. And, and see, and that's what most people try to do is they try to explain away this text. And, and again... I'm just telling you what I believe. What I believe is is that God can talk to us in a way that's plain and simple. His ways are above our ways. And guess what? He knows what level he needs to speak to us on in order for us to comprehend the things that he wants us to comprehend. Now, do you think that he wants you to comprehend how justification works? Considering that's going to determine your eternal state, do you think he wants you to understand that? I think so. I don't think he's going to be all confusing about it. Valerie. Um, actually, I'm going to think this through. Okay. <laughs> As I said, so all the occurrence of justi- the word justified in the Gospels are either about God or what we read in Matthew chapter 12, which was based upon justified by the things that you say and condemned by the things that you say. And then you have Paul, who says it's, it's by the blood. And then you have James. Yeah. Sorry, I'm probably missing something here, but... the. 24 would put me back into that big ball of confusion uh, where it says you see that 
then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Um, I understand that that's... I don't understand that. James is teaching the same thing that the Gospels teach, that you're not saved by faith only. James, again, was one of... James was teaching... He's teaching this... Go ahead. I was going to say, for Israel. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Because look who James is talking to. James chapter 1, verse 1. People don't want to take God at His word. Where is that distinction pointed out in this? Where is that divided? Like, how can a person tell when that's... What's that? Who he's writing to? Uh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. James 1.1. 1, 1. Go James 1.1. 1, 1. Okay. I'll so do a little study. Right, Val? <laughs> we'll turn to James 1.1. 1, 1. I'm trying to wait, but I just... Uh, it says, G- James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the body of Christ. Who does it say it's to? The twelve tribes, the scattered abroad. Let me ask you, are there any tribes in the body of Christ? No. No. So, one second, Kevin. So, again, James was a teacher of, and it depends on who do you believe. Do you believe that James was, this James was the Apostle James, or do you believe that this was James, the brother of the Lord? Most people ascribe this book as to James, the brother of the Lord. I personally believe it was James, the Apostle, who wrote it, and he wrote it um, before he was killed, so... Yeah, it's kind of uh, like faith without works. And I've always had uh, like a problem. Like, well, yeah, Paul says one thing. Now here I'm reading this. And, and uh, the Lord said, well, you know, Daniel had faith. and there, and there But he didn't do the work in closing the lion's mouth. Right. He had the faith and the works was there. Mm-hmm. So even in our lives, if we have the faith, we just... just Hang back because uh, the Lord will take care of the situation, you know. Mm. Oh, yeah. But it's even like Paul says, you can have the faith to move a mountain, but without love, you're nothing. So, you know, that, that works is kind of like the love of God taking care of us, you know. There's no shit. And, you know, but that's just kind of how I kind of interpret things. I, I don't like to say, no, this is that, that, and that. Until I get to heaven, and I'll figure it all out. He tells me everything, you know. But right now, I'm, you know, not really confused because uh, we know who the author of confusion is. Yes. And sometimes I'm a little bit of the author of confusion myself, but that's that's okay. I do the best I can. The main thing to understand is is when you approach the scriptures. Are you going to take God at His word? Or are you going to change it around? Look at James chapter 2 once again. Let's make sure that you see the context of James. Because I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you something that, that, one, I don't believe it to be true. But look here in James chapter 2. We just read those 20 verses in those 20s that talk about justification. The context is found in verse 14. James chapter 2 verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if we look at Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, we'd understand that we're saved by faith, not of works. Why? Unless any man should boast. So, yes, I, it does profit me to have faith. But then he goes on to say, can faith save him? So there's your context. The context is, is your salvation. Can faith save you? Well, the answer to the body of Christ is obviously what? 
let's hope you say yes. Because that's the truth. That's what Ephesians is telling you, is it's by faith alone, apart from works. James is talking to a group of people that faith alone cannot save them. I've said this before. When you get to the tribulation period, right now, Satan wants us, wants us as the church to be preaching works, 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 works. Oh, you can have some faith, but make sure you got those works. But when you get to the tribulation period, it's going to be flipped. At that point, it's going to be, oh, you don't have to have works. It's going to be faith, 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 faith. And what does the Lord Jesus tell all the churches? I know your works. And he condemns them because of their works. That's the tribulation period. That's the same people that James is writing to here. It's the same people that Peter's writing to in his epistles. And John is writing to. And that's those people that Paul, uh, uh, the Lord is talking about in Matthew's chapter 24 through 27 when he's preparing people of the works necessary regarding the tribulation period. Tim? I mean, it, it sounds just so very, very simple. Mm-hmm. And, and it really is. But um, pre-cross... It's uh, faith plus works. Um, after the cross, it's faith alone with the little transition period uh, while <clears throat> Christ came back and the what the twelve you know apostles had to do with the Jews you know who existed uh, on the earth. But you know Christ dying on the cross you know took away any need for works. Well, I would disagree depending on how you mean that. Because up until up until Paul is called, there's still works involved. And so after Pentecost, until that point, there's still works that's necessary. Right. Yeah. Right. So after the cross, the ascension, until Acts chapter nine, there's still works. But there's there's works, but for Gentiles they would have to convert mm-hmm. to Judaism and basically in order to be saved during that period, uh, then that would be the case. But after, no, I agree, after, yeah. um, you know, Paul. Yeah, yeah after, after Paul comes on the scene, because keep in mind, we know that that's the case because we'll just look, look, look at it. Go to Acts chapter 15 real quick. Is Acts chapter 15 after... Um, Acts 9? Yeah. Acts 9? Yes. Yep. This is a clue into the mindset of the 12 apostles and to those who are teaching in Jerusalem. Chapter 15 of Acts, verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the matter of Moses, you cannot be saved. So, again, that's the mindset. That's the teaching in Jerusalem. Um, Paul, who's been teaching for a while that that's not true um, to the Gentiles, um, and obviously the Jews, he's telling them the same thing. Um, But there was a lot of pushback in that sense. But... um, Paul has to go back because that's what they're teaching, is that mindset. And so, yeah, Paul comes on the scene. And, that, and so the real, the whole point of this justified bringing this to light, I hope it's as profound to you as it was to me the first time I realized just looking at that word justified and the way it's used in the New Testament. Because Paul is the only one that uses it the way that it applies to you. That's not an accident. That's just not an accident. Did you uh, decide whether or not you're going to... Well, yeah, I kind of got my thought a little... So back over in James, 
um, and we were we didn't read down as far as verse 26. I think it's interesting. In verse 26, he's saying, "For as the body without the spirit is dead," and of course, he's talking about the physical body. Mm -hmm. You know, your soul, your spirit, whatever. So faith without works is dead, also. But the contrast that I'm thinking in my mind that James didn't know or didn't understand or wasn't true for this group of people he was speaking of is um, the body, our body with the spirit is life. You know, we have this, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. We're indwelled with the Holy Spirit of the whole Godhead. And that brings about um, salvation and, and it's through faith alone and Christ alone. And I know he's not talking about that, you know, that aspect of it. He's talking about the physical body, but just what he's saying here is is just absent of his knowledge of understanding that. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and keep in mind, that's a good point, and that brings me to another point. What I'm saying isn't to demean James or Peter or John. They had a ministry by God himself. That was their ministry. And again, as I say this all the time, it would be wrong for us to take what, what they were given and what they were given to give to somebody and try to put them to us um, and spiritualize. That's what takes away from James. Not, by, by compartmentalizing James, we're not taking away from James. You know, you hear that, that term, we rob Peter to pay Paul. Um, no, we don't want to rob Peter to pay Paul. We don't want to rob Paul to pay Peter either. We want we want. As we just read, James says he's writing to the 12 tribes. You, there is no tribes in the body of Christ. There never was any tribes. So when James writes this book, who was his mindset? The Jews. Now, if James chapter 2, in 21 through 25, was inspired by God, do you think James 1, 1 was inspired by God? Yes. So who do you think that God's, God's target audience was? Through this? The nation of Israel. Somebody had their hand up, I thought. Oh, okay. Um, what was helpful to me was my deep terror for my loved ones who will be left behind. So, I guess, I mean, I don't know if God answered my prayer, but I did, somebody, somebody magically sent me a video of uh, Richard Jordan. He was talking about doctrine that will be for the people who are left behind and how will they be saved. And I don't know how he did it, but he showed that God made this into like a menu for time. And here was the before, mm -hmm. and, and here's the now, and here's for the people who will be left behind. There's going to be still hope and salvation. It's going to be through a different method. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very, very difficult. Yep. Um, but I can't remember where that, where he did it in the Bible, and it just gave me hope that there's going to be something for my, sure. my family who will and I can't speak for Richard Jordan, uh, but typically most of us who are teaching it, we, we you know, compartmentalize it. Times past, which is, you know, the things that were written to the nation of Israel regarding prophecy, that type of stuff. And then you have the but now period, which is why you see Paul use that, that phrase, but now. Um, and, you know, that's basically from Acts chapter 9, if you're using the, that portion, uh, if you're using the history, or... From Romans to Philemon, if you happen to believe Hebrews is the body of Christ, then you would throw that in there. But then you'd have the, the, the time of the future, which is going to be James, and you're going to have Peter, and you're going to have John, and you're going to have the book of Revelation. Um, and so even Jude, um, right about him. So, um, yeah, and so you do have these three sections, and so you're right. Um, we have to understand that 
that these things that are, are for the future, those are there, you know, because the Bible's complete. Time's not complete. The Bible's complete. There's not going to be any more scripture that's going to be given. Um, Paul even makes that clear, that he, he was assigned to f- finish to fulfill the word of God, which should tell you what I think when the book of Revelation was written. But that's another discussion. Um, and so we understand that those in the future are going to be able to utilize this. So our loved ones who don't um, accept the Lord Jesus Christ and say the rapture was to happen next week and we're gone and our loved ones are here, there is still a way in which God is going to try to reach those lost people. As Sarah said, it's not going to be fun and it's not going to be easy for them. Because one of the things we know from Scripture is whenever God places a judgment, He may apply mercy to people after that, but that judgment's already decided. It's determined. We saw that with Ahab. Whenever I was talking about Elijah a few weeks ago, with Ahab, a judgment was pronounced on Ahab. And whenever Elijah read that judgment to him, Ahab repented. Ahab literally started to worship the true God. And God said, because he did that, I'm not going to make these things happen in his lifetime. But he didn't take away the judgment. So those, event, those, those judgments still took place. And so as we're going to see that right now in this day of grace, this thing that we have, that's, that's what it is. Once it's, once it's gone, yeah, the salvation's different, all that kind of stuff. And so things will be different. Things will be different, uh, difficult, and people can be saved, but it won't be a fun, fun experience. So I don't know how I kept going on that too long, but sorry about that. Any other comments before I move on? Kevin. Uh, you know, I hate saying maybe, you know, but, uh, you know, James is talking faith without works. The works is what Christ said at the cross. <coughs> You know, that's, you know, we can have all the faith, but if that really didn't take faith, that's what the death, burial, and resurrection, that's what mm-hmm. our faith is in. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, James, you know, he could be, because he, you know, he, he so speak ye in twelve, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. You know, so he, he's getting into some things that, uh, you know, the law of liberty, what are you talking about, James? I, you know, so it's just good to always have a, I feel, to have an open mind to. Sure, but notice the, the word spirit. they. Huh? Notice the word they that he uses there. So speak he is due as, as they that will be judged that way. And so Paul, he doesn't include himself in that. So. Who's a they? Who's he talking about us? Israel. Well, I think here, this they, he is, he's, he's just. He himself is differentiating between him and those who are part of the program for Israel and they who aren't. The Jews that aren't? Um, no, I think, again, sometimes Paul talks about Jews and sometimes James here is, is possibly referring to to those who are in the body of Christ. So, oh, okay, and that's what James is talking to. About I, the body that's of a possibility here. I mean, I, I certainly don't know for sure, but I notice that he notice he doesn't include himself in that. So right. he says they that are going to be judged that way. That's a big thing going on right now in, uh, you know, these so-called pillars of the church. You mm-hmm. know, yep. They and them, and the judgment seat of Christ. And, I, I, you know, it's just kind of really getting people uh, taking sides. And, you know, I'm glad I'm not a part of that. Yeah. 
Well, it's in the book of Romans, um, again, um, that we find, again, some of the most important things that we, we understand. It's in the book of Romans that Paul describes what happens to Israel. As we talk about the difference between the two, it's Romans chapter 11 where Paul describes that situation. It's where That's the chapter in which he describes to, to Gentiles, and he warns them, don't get all high-minded, you know, thinking that you're somehow all of a sudden you know, so much better. Paul says, he says, no, they've been set aside temporarily. They've been blinded until, and the word until certainly requires that we understand that that's going to stop at some point, uh, that blinding, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in, and that's us. And so it's Romans chapter 11 that we see the, that question answered about what about Israel, that those promises to Israel will be fulfilled. That's in Romans. The other thing about Romans that's very important for you to understand when it comes to the significance, it's this book here that inspired the Reformation. Did you know that? You know that it was, it was this book in particular, chapter, chapter 1, which inspired Martin Luther. And as much as, as we might disagree theologically when it comes to things with, with Lutherans, um, that Protestant Reformation that we have today does go back to him and, and some others. And it was this book, the book of Romans, that, that began that return into a godly biblical understanding. Somebody, is that Tim? Did you have your hand up? Somebody have their hand up? I'm seeing things. Um, look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. See, at that time, the Catholic Church, the, the general teaching was what was called... Um, you may have heard of it. It was called infused grace. It's the idea that grace is infused um, um, in a much different way than, than what we see it today. But it was these words here that Martin Luther later says that struck the chord with him, which inspired him to make that stand that he did. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein, what's therein? The gospel. Is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And Martin Luther attributes those verse, that those two verses right there is to what it would cause him to disagree with the Catholic Church teaching that the grace that, that people received was bestowed upon them by the church instead of justified freely by his grace because the power of the gospel itself, there's so much, the, the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. And so that's, again, how significant the book of Romans is. Sure. Are acting as God. Mm-hmm. That's, of course, heresy or blasphemy. But so, right here, this is Martin Luther. He's saying this comes from the gospel. This doesn't come from any man that, other than Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, again, understanding that the significance of this word justified and what it truly means and what it tells us. And this is the book. The first one by God. And I hope you realize, and I hope that you guys find 
um, how precious it is to have this. God, for one, God didn't have to justify us. And two, he didn't tell you, have to tell you how it works, did he? But the mere fact that you can be justified and the, also the fact that he shared with you that you can, you're complete in Christ, that you can have full confidence in, in your position, in your standing. This is why I said the theme of this book is our standing. Yeah. I sort of looked at it as like we're, we're putting on Christ's righteousness when we have faith in him mm-hmm. so that we're shielded from, from any, God can't see any, any imperfection in us anymore. Sure. Second Corinthians 5, 20, 21. Uh, that's exactly what it's saying. That, we, that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become what? The righteousness of God. Don't list those last two words. In him. In Christ. And so that's exactly right. Mike is exactly, that's exactly how it works. Yeah, I would submit even a little further that the only good in me is, is Christ. Yeah, and that's Paul. Paul talks about. Paul yeah. talks that same thing. You know, he says that which I would do, I don't. And that what I wouldn't do, I do. And so, yeah, he, he says that same thing. Um, but we've got two minutes left, and I got through one of my three sections. <laughs> Isn't that predictable? Isn't that predictable? You're doing well. Yeah. Um, and so we can either have a part two to the introduction, or I can speed through it. Your choice. Okay, very good. Making sure you guys are good with that. And so we'll call it an end right there, and we'll just leave you guys to have some comments or questions. Kevin. You know, like when they say that's like being justified is like it's justified never sinned. Yeah, you've heard that before. Huh? Sure, it's, we're forgiven from all our trespasses, which all means not just future ones and not just past ones. It's mm-hmm. past, present, and future. Forgiven for as far as the east is from the west. Yeah. The verse that we were just reading in Romans seventeen. Um, it just—it shows that the gospel, any gospel that's revealed by God, whether it's ours, ours or other one, ones, is—it just proves that faith is the driving force of the gospel. It always is. Mm-hmm. Without faith, it's impossible to please God of any dispensation. <laughs> Every dispensation required faith, but the other ones required you leave your country, meaning Abram, build a boat, Noah get circumcised, Abram, listen to what Abram says and get circumcised, listen to Moses, go back to go back to Egypt, like Moses did, but you, ah, me, our justification, faith only. And I'll tell you what, amen, amen to that, that's right. Any other comments or questions? Okay, next week we'll pick up in uh, my second section on our Romans introduction. Don, can you tell me what uh, Bible you use so I can-